Welcome to Why Sew, the podcast where some of your favorite sewing personalities and rising stars share what motivates them to create using needle and thread. I'm your host, Jason Prater, and with me today is Martha Pullen. I'm sure you all know Martha as the long-running host of the PBS show Martha's Sewing Room, founder of So Beautiful Magazine, and just overall icon in our sewing industry. And she's actually got some new things cooking, too, that she's going to be happy to tell you about. But I'm super excited to get to speak to her today and learn all about why she sews. So, hey, Martha, welcome to the podcast. Well, Jason, I'm glad you invited me. This is a real honor. Thank you so much. Well, the honor is all ours, and we are so appreciative of you taking time out to be with us today and to, you know, share your story. And I know that many of our listeners and our fans know all about you and have followed you and, and your career, but maybe you can just tell us a little bit about you for those that don't know who you are and, you know, what your specialty is and what you've done throughout your career. Well, do you want me to tell a little bit about me since my sewing career or go back to the beginning? <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll touch some of the beginning, but maybe just, Later, a, just okay. a general synopsis. How about that? Okay. You know what? I had the pleasure. God gave me the pleasure of starting my own business. It was going to be just a little smocking shop in 1981 because I had a little girl after four boys. And all I wanted to do from the delivery room when I found out it was a girl, all I could think about was sewing beautiful clothes for her. And I really mean that. And so I started out as a little smocking shop. And oh my goodness, within three months after opening, I was in Europe buying lace and fabric to start a wholesale business. So within three months after I opened my little smocking shop, which I was just going to sit around and teach ladies how to smock. And it just it just moved on to an international business. As I said, God was very good to us. But that's how it started. I was going to open a smocking shop. And by golly, that's what I did. And then it went crazy. <laughs> that's fantastic. Now, Martha, did you grow up in a household of sewing and or quilting or anything like that was oh, I mean, how, yes. how did you come up? How did you come about wanting to Why smock for your little girl? Oh my goodness! Well, I don't have a smock, but you see, my mother when I was born in New Jersey. And even though I don't sound like a Jersey. I was going to say, wait a minute. You just no, said no, you were no, born in New no, Jersey. Yeah, I was in Marstown, New Jersey. And my mother didn't know how to sew, but she wanted to make beautiful baby clothes for me. So she took a singer sewing class. And Jason, you might not know this, but back a long time ago, and I was born in 1943. And that when you, if you wanted to sew, you took, you went to the singer dealerships. That was about the only sewing machine that was available. <laughs> and you took a singer sewing class. So my mother took a singer sewing class and just went crazy sewing beautiful clothes for her baby girl named Martha. Then after we came along and moved back south, both my parents were from the south. So I moved back to Scottsboro, Alabama, the best little town in the whole world. And she began to make clothes for me. And I started sewing myself making doll clothes that my Aunt Chris taught me how to do when I was five years old. And my mother made beautiful clothes for me. And I just loved watching her sew. And we would go to the sewing, the fabric store, the material store, as we called it. Material. Yes, we didn't call it fabric. That's a fancy name. I still call it material sometimes. (laughs) But anyway, she'd buy me, she'd buy a nice pattern and we'd pick out something wonderful And she'd come home and make me beautiful clothes. And my Aunt Chris taught me how to make doll clothes and sew sequins on and Christmas stockings. My mother was a dressmaker. And it was just the happiest. I always loved sewing. It was such a happy time in my life. And I still do. I have some of my nicest childhood memories. I know she got 
I have great memories when I got older too. Boy, did she make me gorgeous clothes. But I have the happiest memories around my mother and that sewing machine. And then mother started teaching me how to sew. Aunt Chris didn't care if it was upside down or had glue all over it. She thought it was perfect. So (laughs) then mother said, now that's not the way I sew. And that's not the way I'm going to teach you. So mother made me do it right. Then of course, my high school home ec. Oh, I love that so much. And anyway... So you had a lot. Of, you had a lot of teachers there. It's kind of interesting that, that your aunt was kind of the first one. Was she was that a home using... ec teacher. She was a home ec teacher, oh, and okay. she just wanted me to do anything, and she didn't care how it looked. It was just as long. Of course, a little child, you don't want to try to get perfection. I, I was gonna say, isn't that, the, isn't that the best kind of first teacher to have? Yes. Yes. Young? Amen. Amen. And even if you're not that young, you know what I tell all my students? I tell them, every one of my students, I said, now listen, all of you are going to get A plus in Martha's class. And you're all going to graduate because everybody that takes my class graduates. And then I tell them, and everything you sew is going to be perfect. Well, that time they look at me and say, what? What, Martha? Come on. I mean, I say, stop, stop. I'm going to blow an old American adage. Now, you'll have to help me with this, Jason. If something is worth doing, it's worth doing. How? Well. Oh, oh, there's no truth whatsoever (laughs) in that. Let me tell you why. If something, there's no truth. If something is worth doing well, worth doing It's worth doing scared to death at first, sewing it upside down at first, cutting a hole in it at first, and not being, because if you don't start, did you ride a bicycle the first time you got on it? Nope. Well, if you, if they said something's worth doing well, and you, then you'd quit, wouldn't you? But it's going to be perfect because Jason, it's perfect for where they are right now. And it is perfect. And then people say, oh, that sounds good because whatever they sew is going to be perfect for right now. Now, they'll get happier with it after some practice, but I tell them they're going to get A+, you're going to graduate, and you're going to sew perfectly. And that kind of sets the class as a fun class, and that I'm going to help them, and we're going to have helpers, and, and then you're going to have fun. And then if you like this kind of sewing, then you'll practice and take some more classes and get to where you like it, the way you want it. But it's going to be beautiful this very first time. It's going to be perfect. And don't you forget, I have perfect sewers. <laughs> I, I can't think of better advice to give to first-time sewers. Oh, that's first-time anything. you got to remember I'm a third-generation school teacher. My grandmother started teaching in 1910 when she was 16 years old in a one-room oh, wow. schoolhouse. She had 50 children in a one-room schoolhouse when she was 16 years old. But my family is a, we're um, encouraging education. We believe the way to make somebody learn something, or rather to facilitate, you can't make anybody learn anything, (laughs) is to make them feel so good about it and to have to enjoy it and then to put some effort and to brag on them. Let me tell you, you say, oh, that doesn't look very good. Well, let me tell you, your students will never come back to your sewing class. Oh, that doesn't look good. You tell them, you help them and tell them not to be so critical of themselves. Because I want them, I want just love what you're doing and we're going to make it perfect after you practice a little bit. Everybody's got to practice. But I do, Jason, I love teaching sewing better than anything in the whole world. And I've done this since 1981. Anyway, I've talked too much, but that's not. So tell me more about that. So when you, when you went to start your smocking shop, how old were you at this point? And what what had you been doing? I was 37. Well, I have two PhDs. I got, I was a school teacher and I went back and got two PhDs, one in educational administration and management. I was going to be a high school principal. And the other one was, are you ready for this? Teaching reading to disadvantaged students. Now, that was my second PhD. Wow. And I was a college. First, I was a high school teacher and then a college professor. 
And I just didn't want to do that. I wanted to teach sewing. Now, after, I will tell after, you. Wait, hold on, hold on. After all of that schooling, <laughs> yes, after that's all of that said. dedication <laughs> that it took to go get two PhDs, you decided, yeah. I don't want to do that. All I wanted to do was teach sewing. And then, now you wow. got to remember, I'm an entrepreneur. I had my first business when I was 14 years old. I had a full-fledged dancing school when I was 14, 15, all through high school. I had a big dancing school, plus make it all A's because my mother wouldn't let me make anything but A's. But I, I love business. I enjoyed my business. I had a very successful dancing school. I've always loved to teach, but I didn't want to teach school. I, and I, I never did want to teach school because you have to give grades and, and, <laughs> and make people, you know, people study things they don't want to study. I mean, sometimes a student does not want to study Shakespeare in South Atlanta, let me tell you. And I tell was me about it. I've got two daughters in college right now, and I hear it all okay. the time. Ah, why do I have to take this class? Yeah. <laughs> well, I taught some of those subjects, and I heard that. And you can dance Shakespeare to try to make it interesting, but some people could care less about Wordsworth, English, Brit British literature. And I was kind of a British literature specialist. And some people love it, and others just despise it. And and I, but sewing, anybody that comes to my sewing class is going to love it because they came there. It's so much fun. And all I wanted to do is have a business too. I'm an entrepreneur at heart. I've written two books on entrepreneurship, Jason, on That's how nice. I started my business and some things you need to know if you're even thinking about going, because business is not for everybody. Owning a business is not for everybody. And I like, to, I like to teach people all the problems to make sure and then tell them how to be sure that they, and I've got a system, how to be sure you really want to open a business because you might rather just enjoy the hobby because when you turn your hobby into a business, you give up a lot of the time for your hobby, I can assure yeah. you, because you got to run the business. And I've gotten way off track, haven't I? <laughs> no, 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 no. I love that. Tell, tell, let's, let's talk more about that part of it. Once you started in this business, it sounds like, I mean, well, very quickly, you said within a couple of months, you decided, I didn't just want a retail business. You want, you dug right into wholesale. What was the driving factor there? Well, tell, no, tell me how that progressed. You want me to be real honest? Yeah. Okay. My husband, who was a brilliant implant dentist, a very, very famous dentist, who footed the bill for the business for seven months. We went to New York City to buy some lace and batiste or the French lace and the Swiss batiste and the embroideries. And our life savings was $23,000. And that's all I had to spend. But I was going to spend that on, you know, I had to have some, some stuff to put in my store. <laughs> you know, you can't start a smoking shop. And so I went to this one person that had the biggest selection. I'm, I'm not going to mention any names, but he's, he's <laughs> out of business now, many years ago. And, but remember, this was 1981. Right. And I went in, my husband, who was a very renowned implant dentist, we went in there. And when I went in there to spend my life savings, Jason, that's all we had between <laughs> us. And it was so important to me that I get the right things. And we sat down and he kept saying, hurry, Miss Pollen, hurry, hurry, Miss Pollen, hurry. Miss Pollen, I've got other customers that are coming in. You need to hurry. And this was my business, my life savings, our whole dream. And we left there. And my husband was kind of a slow talking Alabama boy. He was very, <laughs> he was internationally famous. He taught dentistry all over the world. He said, honey, we were not even out of that building. We're getting ready to go down on the elevator. He said, honey, that was the rudest man I've ever seen in my life, in my whole life. And Joe didn't say anything, but he kept saying, hurry, Miss Pollard, hurry. Hurry, I have other people that need to see me. Unbelievable. As I gave him 20,000, well, he, I put him out of business later on. <laughs> and, I, and Joe got on the elevator. He said, Martha, we're going to put that man out of business. Where do you buy that stuff? 
I said, well, you buy it in Switzerland and France. He said, we'll be in Switzerland and France in the next three months. We'll open your store. We're going to go over there. He, by the way, he had a very close friend who was a dentist in Zurich in Switzerland and a very close friend who was a dentist in Paris. He taught him both Zurich and Paris. When he got home to Alabama, he picked up the phone and he called his dental friends. He said, hey, I need some help. And they said, well, Joe, what can we do for you? He said, I need you to find out where in France I can buy this French lace. Then he called the man in Switzerland, Dr. Feigl. I want to know where in Switzerland I buy Swiss batiste and Swiss embroideries. They said, don't worry, Joe. Within two days, these dentists had called us back. They gave us the names and the addresses of the towns. And actually, the people in the business, and they said, they'll be waiting for you, Dr. Pullen. They thought Joe was going to buy it. Dr. Pullen, they'll be waiting for you. I hear the numbers. All you have to do is call. They're anxious to talk to you, and they're waiting for you. Well, honey, in in September, we were on plane to go to Paris. Well, actually, it was another part of France, and Switzerland, and we bought a whole warehouse full. I hadn't even been in business three months, and we bought a warehouse full of this stuff and brought it home and figured out how to get a homemade catalog together. Where on earth did you put it? Well, that's a big question. Oh, God. (laughs) I had a small O. It was just, I never thought about that, okay? I never thought about where I was going to put it. We just got it. So this is funny. So it came in. I had a shop about a thousand square feet. Those boxes from Europe filled up every square inch of that shop. You couldn't even walk. And Joe said, Martha, we've got to find a warehouse. I said, oh, I never thought about that. (laughs) Remember, I hadn't been in business but three months. And all this stuff came in from Europe. And so we began to look around and we found it right down the street from us. There was a refrigerator. Now, what it really was a huge that had been a fruit place where they kept fresh fruit. And it was empty. I had not one window in it. And the walls were, you know, like a refrigerator. I'm yeah, not yeah, yeah. And it didn't have any windows in it. And they had refrigeration that you could turn on. It was a refrigerator. And of course, I didn't want to have a refrigerator. It didn't have a window in the place. But so we got heating and air conditioning put in there real quick. I moved all that stuff down there. And I started my wholesale out of a refrigerator. And that is the truth. That I don't tell many people that yeah. story. Was that in Huntsville? Right in Huntsville. Every bit of this. It was right down the street, this closed up refrigerator. Big refrigerator. Probably 2,000 square feet refrigerator. <laughs> wow. And I got a fabric rolling machine from up in Tennessee somewhere. Joe got on the phone and found that one. Learned how to roll those rolls of fabric off on the bolts. And by golly, had a homemade catalog where I pasted everything down and ran it through a Xerox machine and sent it out to everybody I knew that had a fabric store. That's how it got started. Okay, that there. Is, that That's is fantastic. So you were the salesperson, the, the, the teacher, the janitor, the, the sorcerer, <laughs> the teacher. You was doing it all. Up. I cleaned up. Yeah, I did it all. That's what that's what most new businesses do. The owner does it all. Yeah, yeah. any bootstrap business out there, that's that's got to be the way it is, isn't it? Yeah, but you know what I found? I ended up with forty full time employees and a hundred part time. But I still did my share of emptying the garbage cans when they needed to be emptied. At the bathroom needed cleaning, I went in there and cleaned it. I never wanted to let any of my employees do anything that I was not willing to do myself. Yeah. And so I always, t- and by the way, we later on when we could afford, had a cleaning service, but at the beginning, each person just cleaned their room, you know, yeah. you know, did the vacuum and, and we took turns cleaning the bathroom, bathrooms. I had 
And but but I wanted to do. I didn't want to ask any employee to do anything that I didn't do myself. I was an employee too. You see, yeah, absolutely. So so you took the business from that. How, how did you get into you know teaching and television and and publishing and all of those things well, that you ultimately? You know, I'm a, I'm a PhD, so I had written a dissertation. I had and now I'm an English teacher, so I've been writing my whole life. So that was pretty easy. The writing. And why did I write the first book? I never written a song. I wanted to teach French sewing by machine. People were doing it by H-A-N-D hand, and that's actually a dirty word. <laughs> Not really. But I, I figured out how to do it on the machine because I, most people don't have time to spend 300 hours rolling and whipping a little dress or christening dress. Mm-hmm. And I knew there had to be a better way of doing it. So I figured that out. And as soon as I figured out a better way of doing it, I thought, well, I've got to teach other people because they can't buy much lace and batiste if we don't show them how to do it quickly. Mm-hmm. So I decided I could write a book on French sewing by machine. So I didn't know how to write a sewing book. Lord of mercy. But I sat, I had written a dissertation. So, and I, I was an English teacher. But I just figured if anybody can do it, I can. So I sat down and started writing and I got an artist to draw some pictures for me and took some photography. And Now, now you did all this before you published a regular period, a regular magazine. This was my first book. This, this was, was my first, first book. And the magazine was not, we started, first book was 1983. The magazine was not started until 1987. But okay. I had written a bunch of books before we started the magazine. I've written a total of 70 books, if you want to know the truth, Jason. Wow. Yeah, I did not write. I had a fabulous staff, but I wrote part. They have my name on the front, and yeah. I wrote part of 70 books. So wow. I now, don't do anything halfway. <laughs> I love that so much. Now, we haven't clarified this, but maybe you can clarify it. Uh, you, you mentioned smocking earlier, and you've mentioned some some different types of sewing. But, sewing, but yeah. we put we put all this under an umbrella, right? We call this heirloom sewing. Is that, is, is that correct? And quilting and heirloom quilts go under that too. We did a lot of quilting. We did a lot of ladies' clothes. It was we did a little bit of everything and had an heirloom sewing flavor to it. If okay. that makes any sense. <laughs> now, how, how, do, how do you describe that? But that term, because sometimes I even hear that term like. I can vi- I can I can see it more than I can okay. understand okay. what what does it mean to you when you say heirloom sewing? What should people think about that term? Well, see, I love to do christening dresses and little children's clothes. That's what I started out with was children's clothes, and then all of a sudden, heirloom can be applique. I know Joyce was one of the first ones to do machine applique. She had the most wonderful kits. Her, her sulky kit, or she had fabulous kits. Nearly everybody in the world learned to do applique using Joyce Drexler's kits. Yeah. Anyway, she doesn't do those anymore, I don't think. But they were <laughs> no. I bet I bought a hundred of those and taught classes in my stores using see applique is heirloom. A hand sewing is heirloom. Embroidery is heirloom. Anything that has that special touch that isn't just clothes off the rack. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Just yeah. have a special touch of some kind on it. Now, my favorite thing in the world, I have to be, is making christening dresses. Nobody loves christening dresses. I don't think any more than I do. And also, I have an unnatural attraction to antique clothes of the Victorian era. So I began to go all over the world buying Victorian clothes, actually the 150, and copying those and copying the techniques that were used on those clothes, on christening dresses, but on other things too, women's blouses, nightgowns, yeah. jackets, or joysticks. All of those, the fancy stuff is what I call heirloom. It yeah. doesn't have to be lace and batiste, although it can be. But okay. heirloom is something that's just precious. You know, it's it could be passed down through the generations. That's yeah. another way of looking at it. Yeah. And in machine embroidery, much of that falls in an heirloom. That's one of the nicest things to come along because it can be done quickly and we can have embroidery that's perfect 
Now, some people are real, real, you know, snooty if it isn't hand embroidery, but I love machine embroidery. It's much more beautiful embroidery than I can do by hand. Right. And it's quick and everybody can do it. And these wonderful machines we have now are just so much fun. And we can right. put machine embroidery anywhere we want to. How did you get hooked up with that? Now, I know that, that machine embroidery has certainly been a big part of our business and our rayon embroidery threads are, are something that you had used in your certification programs and oh, your heavens, teachings. Oh, all the time. Uh, how, how did that come about? Well, we didn't have any machines that embroidered when I first started my business in 81. And shortly after that, I remember going to Puyallup, Washington, to the biggest sewing show in the world, put on my Washington State University, and I saw the first machine that sewed by itself. I nearly fell in the floor. I'd never <laughs> seen anything like that. It was embroidering and nobody was holding on to that machine. And I thought, oh, my goodness. And I fell in love with machine embroidery then. And then it was mostly just things, you know, to put on quilts or home decorating. But I began to see quickly the heirloom sewing, the beautiful embroidery that's always been done by hand, that we could do that by machine and everybody could do it. And I just fell in love. And I'm and I'm in love with Sulky Thread, too, I might add. Well, I've <laughs> used that always. It has the most beautiful the most beautiful sheen to it. And what's what I've used. Of course, you've got a lot of different threads now, but I'm talking about the original ones yeah, that I use awesome. so much. But machine embroidery, it's just more fun than anything. And I am a big, big machine embroidery person now. As a matter of fact, in my new business, Rockstar Sewing, I'm giving 150 machine embroidery designs as a part of my classes and my because I love machine embroidery. You take the most fabulous things quickly. And I love antique machine embroidery designs. So I go through these books of mine that are written in 1855, 1880. And I take those designs and I send them out to my embroidery people. And they turn those 150-year-old designs into machine embroidery. That's my favorite thing in the world to do. I was going to ask you that because yeah. I know you had, under the Martha Pullen brand for a long time, you, you had an embroidery club too. So I was going to ask oh, you, where, where, where did yeah. those designs come from? Were those? Well, from, from everywhere. Uh, we had several artists, and many of them came from antique magazines, but we had fabulous artists that knew how to draw everything. You know, we have, and you know, now I don't own Martha Pullen Company anymore. Phyllis Hoffman owns it, but they are still doing fabulous machine embroidery things as part of the Martha Pullen line. Now, I am not Martha Pullen. I, well, I am, but... Professionally, <laughs> professionally, I am rock star sewing by Martha Campbell Pullen. That is my trademark name. So Phyllis owns the name Martha Pullen, and they're doing fabulous things, you know, heirloom things, publish a beautiful magazine called Classic Sewing. And um, anyway, and then my company is a totally different company, but I just love Phyllis and Kathy and, and Martha Pulling Company. I love them dearly, but I'm not working with them anymore yeah, or for yeah. them. It's, it's I, good. We got I, I imagine that whole dynamic is, I, I know a little of the history of the Martha Pulling Company and, yeah. and selling that and other entities being involved there. I imagine that entire transactional process might be one of the things that you put in your books about how to and what not to do in, in certain business situations. Huh? Well, you know what? I don't even know. When I wrote my book, I I had already sold Martha Pulling Company, but the book is all about one of the things I travel and teach is teaching people how to start a business. And by the way, as much as how to start a business, I teach them what not to do and what if you don't like doing these things, you don't need to start a business. Everybody does not. Oh, I'm going to start a quilt shop. I said, most of you, you could take your 300000 and burn it and get more <laughs> pleasure out of it than starting a quilt shop. That's extremely hard to do. 
Yes, and most is. people don't have any more idea than a monkey how to run a business anyway. And I, did, I was one of those people, I might add. And I learned so many lessons in the first seven years. And I thought, I have learned so much. I will write a book and teach other people not to make the mistakes I made. I love that. And that's one. And I do teach workshops on how to start a business, how not to start a business, how to be sure that you really do want to start a business. Because if you like paid vacations, if you like a paycheck in the first few years, if, if you like vacations, if you like weekends off, if you like working eight to five, do not start a business because all those things you don't do if you start a business. You 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 you're seven years before you draw a paycheck. That's the truth. And we have to take some of the glamour out of it. And then if people really want to do it, they got they need to understand the basics and the basics. Oh, I'm going to start a business. And, oh, I'm going to make a lot of money. Now that would be a joke at the beginning. <laughs> and uh, and it, no, it is. It really is. As, uh, by the way, more businesses fail. What is it? Nine out of 10 businesses fail by the, by 10 years, nine That's out right. of 10. So I like to talk to people on how to do it where you have a chance of making it. Yeah. And I have, I've worked with thousands of people on that. Some of them decided they didn't want to do a business at all. And others, home-based business, by the way, Jason is what I recommend now and so business anyway. And and the craft business, to go out and get a building with rent and utilities and employees, you're just not going to make it. Cash flow becomes a problem fairly quick, doesn't it? Oh, Lord. Oh, my goodness, yes. Even with big companies, it's a horrible problem. Yeah. But but you've got, it's it's a, anyway, I love to work with people who are thinking about starting a business. I can help them get started. I can help them tell what to do with a written plan. Jason, most people start a business and they don't have a written plan. Uh-huh. Not one pl- not one word of writing on how they're going to get there has ever been put to paper. Not one word on what it's going to cost. Anything about the uh, employees, about the taxes, about the LLCs, uh-huh. about the... And I can tell people how to avoid that. I've got a plan. If they will follow that plan at the end of 30 days, they will know whether they want to try it or don't want to try it. That's awesome. Anyway, I love working with people on how well, to start a business. Well, now you, over the the course of your career, and we, we've talked through several things, but you had several different revenue streams. So you had Martha Fuller Company, you were doing uh, this teaching, certifications, uh, certifying teachers to go out and teach yeah. other people. But you also had a, a television show. How did you get into television? Well, I just decided I watched the television shows on Saturday and I decided I could do one as well, if not better than the others. That's kind of the story of my life. I see something I like and I thought, shoot, I can do this. So we went down to the University of Alabama and talked to them. They have a fabulous this Center for Public Television. Mm-hmm. And they said, well, we'll try it. So you may not get in any state but Alabama, but we'll run it. Within the first year, we were already in about 20 states. They liked the show. We sent it out and they really liked it because people were underwriting it, paying to underwrite it. And Sulky, thank you, Lord, was always one of my <laughs> underwriters for my television show. And then by the end of the first year, the end of the first year, we were in nearly all 50 states. And by the end of the second year, we were running in all 50 states. And the whole 17 years we did it, produced 26 new shows a year, plus made, we were running in all 50 states, plus some in Canada, wow. plus Puerto Rico, plus 26 of my shows were translated by Japanese public television. And you should see me speaking Japanese. Oh, <laughs> Lord. Oh, man. It's hysterical. I'm showing all these beautiful little heirloom clothes in Japanese. Oh, it's a wonder, wonder, wonder. It is so funny. They sent me copies of the ones they translate. So, and I've, I've been to Australia 28 times teaching sewing. I was on Australian public television for a little while and I've been all over the world. I've, I've taught in, I've taught on six of the seven continents, some uh, Africa and South Africa and South America. I was doing mission work with my church, teaching those ladies how to sew by hand. We don't have any machines in those countries. 
So I don't know. It's been the most unbelievable career. I'm the most blessed person I know, Jason. I really mm. mean that. I had the best team. My husband was with me all the way. He worked seven days a week in the dental office to keep the bills paid for seven years because I made no money and kept mm. spending it. <laughs> anyway, anyway, I had a great, great team. And, and my business has always been a Christian business. I've always given God the credit because that's where the credit belongs. I've always done devotionals and sent scripture out. I had a newsletter that went out to 45,000 people. It was opt-in. I didn't put anybody, I didn't buy any list. People, that many people signed up. I anyway, that. I loved it. And and we we wrote books with the Victoria and Albert Museum in London. Can you believe that? Yes. And with Kent State Museum in Kent, Ohio, Kent State University. I wrote two books with the Daughters of the American Revolution Museum in Washington, D.C. It was just magical. It really was. Jason, I loved it. Loved it better than anything. It it still is, too, right? It's still going. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm starting all over again. Now, listen, I have to tell you that I wrote, I signed a non-compete where I couldn't work for a number of years. But you know what? God always knows what's best. My husband got Lewy body dementia, which is similar to Alzheimer's. Mm. And he was and is the love of my life. He went to heaven in 2015, but he was really sick for about four years. And I was able to keep him at home the whole time. And Alzheimer's is just like, I mean, Lewy body. We did have long-term health care insurance, which is the most important thing we ever bought. Joe and I both said that. But I had help in the house 14 hours a day mm. to help me. But I was able to keep my baby at home. And he he's God is first and, and why we had this fabulous business. But Joe pulling is second because he mm. footed the bills. He wouldn't let me quit. I wanted to quit. I said, I'm working too. I was on the plane every weekend. I was killing myself in mm. Australia. I was in England. I was in Sweden. I was in Canada. I was in California all the time. And I said, Joe, I'm killing myself. Every, nearly every weekend I was out on that plane. He said, you're not going to quit because <laughs> the ladies are too happy. When they come here to sew, they say that they've been living the whole year just to get to Alabama. And he said, Martha, they're so happy. And they, they come to me and they cry thanking me for helping you with this business. And that's the kind of love that we got. Basically, I think my heirloom sewing business means love. Yeah. Ladies love to sew. They loved each other. I love them. They love me. They love making beautiful clothes for people that they love. And that's what I love about sewing. I'm telling you, I love this business. I've loved this. It's why I'm going back in at age 79. Come on. Most people at 79 are just, I don't have to work. There's no reason I ever have to work or earn a penny, but I love it. I don't want to, I want to be back with my ladies. So I want to teach sewing. But I'm going to do it online this, I'm doing it online this time. I really can't do a whole lot of traveling. My back does not like air planes much anymore. Yeah. I used to, oh, I have over a million miles on Delta alone That's and crazy. I flew all of Went to Australia 28 times to teach, so. Well, let me ask you, yep. going back to more on the personal side of sewing, okay. you know, you've obviously done this your whole life and it's been a business and you've been so busy running your businesses and all that goes into that. Did you find time to sew for yourself? Well, and, if, and if so, what, what are the things that you choose to sew for yourself? That's interesting talk. When you get a business that gets this, that was six million dollar a year business. There's almost no time to do anything except run that business and get on a plane and go out and sell it. I had yeah. to get on the plane and get out and sell it. Now I didn't do much sewing in those last years because I was too busy writing books and teaching and getting on the plane and and selling it. And I wrote. I did so much writing on my newsletters. I sent out major newsletters, major ones. And what did I do for myself? I didn't do a whole lot of sewing for myself. I planned things. I designed things. I planned machine embroidery. I planned christening dresses. I drew them out and somebody else sewed them. But now. I'm doing sewing again and I'm doing christening dresses and I'm doing little children. I don't even have any little children to sew for, but I love 
children's clothes, christening dresses. I love making christening dresses. And I'm sewing again. How about that? That's awesome. I don't have anybody to sew for as far as children go, but I'm I'm having more fun. Well, tell I'm tell having me, fun. When, when you're in your sewing room, Martha, what are some of the, the your most favorite things? Are, are sewing products, notions, gadgets, things that you just have to have in your sewing room? What, what are some <laughs> of those have things? I have a machine that works. And I've got the top of the line, Bernina, in there now that does everything but wash the dishes. And I haven't even learned half of what it will do. I have to have, are you ready for this? Shish kebab sticks. Now, those cost a dollar in the grocery store. Now, why? Because I kind of like to punch things because I do laces. You got to push it together and be sure it didn't jump over. And if you use a wooden shish kebab stick, then if you happen to sew over it, it won't tear up your sewing machine. Uh I have taught the world to sew with a shish kebab stick in one hand. Okay, that's one of my number one sewing. And I love their different feet to the sewing machines, the edge joining foot. I use that because I butt laces together and zigzag them together. And you don't want any holes, but if we do have a hole, I call it holiday. We don't call it a hole. And you go back and zigzag over it. I mm. use edge joining feet. I've got to have the Aileen's um, washable glue, or you can use mm-hmm. Elmer's washable, because I glue a lot of things down rather than, and I pin. You know, my new trick that I love more than anything is those, uh, they're called magic pins. They have a rubber end on them. Now, I have to use glass head or something because I iron right on top of my pins when I'm shaping lace. Okay. And so you you for sure can't have something that's going to melt. Those plastic top pins won't do. I have a lace shaping board that June Taylor used to make, and they're thinking about making them again. They don't make them anymore. I've got to stick pins into a cardboard box when I shape laces. Other sewing thing, I got to have starch. I've got, I know the iron that I love more than anything is this little Panasonic iron they put out that's cordless. And uh-huh. when you pick up the iron, it, it sits in a little base and it's small. And it's cordless, and it sits right there beside my sewing machine. It is fabulous. But it's a regular, almost a regular size iron. So I don't have to get up and go charge over to an ironing board. Yeah. And let me Gotta just have a good iron. Oh, I, I just love that little Panasonic cordless iron. I bought the first one just for me, but I'm going to tell Steve Jeffrey when he starts talking about what notions Martha loves. I don't know how anybody does. Because you put it right there by your sewing machine. Right. You know, and then, of course, glass head pins, but I really like those. You know, have you ever seen those magic pins? They have a rubber end on. They're easy to handle because you can have something to grab onto. And you can iron right on top of them because I have to press right on top of my pins. And as I said, that Aileen's, um, the glue with a little tip on it, because I glue my laces down a lot now and let it dry rather than try to take pins to the sewing machine. I've got some new tricks I'm doing with my new lessons I'm teaching. What are the notions? Well, I got to have French lace and Swiss patiche. I mean, Got to have my machine embroidery and my machine embroidery and the color, my colors of sulky thread and other threads, whatever I have. Patterns and and magazines and antique clothes so I can get some ideas and and double needle. Oh, I use twin needles all the time for double needle pin tucks. And I like pin tuck feet. The Bernina has four fabulous different size pin tuck feet. They have the very best pin tuck feet of all. And I love, I do a lot of Pin, I do a lot of pen talks. Fantastic. I do a lot of everything. And of course, I got to have French lace. I, you got to have French lace. I can't do heirloom sewing without French lace. And I love machine embroidery. I'm telling you, I do big time machine embroidery on my antique, on the reproduction antiques. I love machine embroidery. That's my, what's my favorite embroidery? I do not do hand embroidery. <laughs> I do hand smocking, but that's uh, the only thing I do by hand. I just love my machine embroidery just so very now, much. In your hand smocking, do you use a heavy, heavyweight cotton thread for that? I just use embroidery floss. Just I use three floss. strands, three or four strands. Of, but you know what? My arthritis, the author comes <clears> to visit <throat> with ladies that are 79 years old. Really. And right now, my arthritis I, mean, I can I can smock 
but my hands start hurting if I mm. tune too much. So I'm not doing much smocking. I'm doing work on my sewing machine now. Yeah. I can still smock, of course, but my hands get real sore if I do much needlework by hand. Yeah. Well, now switch gears just for a second, but you, you've you been really an inspiration to a whole generation of people sewing. Exactly. And, and I just wonder, in your own sewing life and career, are there any sewists or makers that helped you and were an inspiration to you along the way and people within the industry or outside the industry that you looked up to or, or that helped oh, you yes, in some way? Yes. Clotilda was one of them. My dear friend Clotilda, she encouraged me and helped me get into the Puyallup show. Anytime I had questions about things, I would call her. There was another wonderful lady that you probably wouldn't remember, Eunice Farmer of Eunice Farmer Fabrics in, in St. Louis, Missouri. And she was a real encourager for me and had me to come to her store. And she wrote a newspaper column called So Simple that went in every newspaper. <laughs> um, do you, you've you heard the name Eunice Farmer? I absolutely have. Yeah. Okay. Well, she was a real mentor to me. And then Sue Hausman was another mentor to me. She opened up doors. Lord of mercy. At one time, one year when I was working with Viking, although I always worked, they did 37 Martha Pullen seminars around the country. She even trained the first group of Martha Pullen licensed educators. We had Viking, Martha Pullen Viking educators mm-hmm. and teams of two went all over the country. They did 37 Martha Pullen wow. events and we furnished the kits for them. And, and they, and they taught, of course, they bought my books. Like they bought everything like crazy from me. And then another person in the sewing industry that was so helpful to me was Steve Jeffrey with mm-hmm. Baby Lock. He opened, oh, he, he, he booked me, he booked us up so nobody else could get us there for several <laughs> years. Of course, he's not with Baby Lock anymore. He's with Bernina now. And he's been in touch with me telling me he sure was glad we were on the same team again. <laughs> and actually, all the sewing machine companies helped me. The companies helped me. Yeah. Every single one of them. We did Genomi teacher licensing. We did Bernina. We did FAF. Helmet on, helmet on. But it was head of FAF, was a very, and let me tell you, Joyce and Fred Drexler were fabulous mentors to me. I, I can't begin to tell you what I, how I love them. Mm. And let me just think, who are some of the other, say Eunice and Clotilda and a number of the dealers that had me over and over and over again. John Douthit was a real mentor to me. He had me, you know, they'd pick up the phone and tell a dealer, go ahead and pay her what she charges. She'll sell more machines than anybody <laughs> here in the state. And the, the Moore boys, the Moore brothers out yeah. in California were so good to me. And um, oh, I'm just trying to think. Think of so many dealers, Donnie, Donnie, Kathy, and and. Mm. Arizona. Arizona. They had yeah. me out, and Mary, oh my goodness, Mary Hess, big baby lock dealer out yeah. in Oklahoma. Oh, she had me out there all the time and they bought so much from me and I, I'm sure I'm leaving people out because I didn't really kind of get it right. all written down. You named but a I, lot of a lot of giants in the industry there, Martha, that I'm sure would say the same thing about you. Well, honey, they helped me and my students, my students, they would brag on me and they'd send me new students and they'd bring somebody to the school and they would call their sewing machine dealer and say, you got to have Martha Pulling come. She does blah, blah, blah. As I said, all the companies, FAF and Viking and Baby Lock and Bernina, who am I leaving out? I'm sure I am. Janome, mm-hmm. I did li- I did licensed teachers for all of those companies and they yeah. all bought kits from me. And I can't even tell you, it's it just, it just, my heart just <laughs> is full when you, all these people to help me. And of course, God was my main helper and Joe was my second helper. And then I had some fabulous people that worked for me. I'm not going to even start naming them one. And then Phyllis <laughs> Hoffman. Phyllis Hoffman was a real encourager for me. She and I, she started her Just Cross Stitch and I started So Beautiful about the same time. And Phyllis Hoffman, Dipiano is his name, her name now. She is, she, I would call her and she would help me all the time. I, well, I could go on and on. 
You ask me, and I can. <laughs> yeah, it's it's hard to imagine an industry with more people willing to share and help yes. and facilitate others yes. than our industry, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. I'm just trying to think. Kathy Ruddy was a big help to me. Still is, by the way. She and I are both big Christians, so we love to talk. Mm-hmm. Lord, let me just, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving. Oh, Jim Susio. You know Jim up in, uh, yes, up in Pittsburgh. Amy Ball, Amy Ballman. I'm trying to think of the stores that I've been to so many times. <laughs> and there was a guy up in Detroit, Michigan. He's dead now. I don't remember him, but he had me come all the time to teach. And I'm telling you, anytime I wanted to go somewhere, there was a fabulous dealer that was ready to pay me to come. And God, <laughs> and they bought and we have a new book come out and they'd order 25. I, I mean, people were so good to me. Jason, you just don't that's, know that's how wonderful. good people were to me. Well, Martha, I'll ask you, you've done so much in sewing, but is there is there any technique, anything in sewing that you haven't tried that's kind of like <laughs> on your sewing bucket list, if you will, that you say, you know, darn it, I've never done X and so on, but I really want to try it. Is there something like okay. that? Okay, absolutely. I can tell you what it is. I have designed quilts. I We have written books for quilts. I have never made a quilt, so I guarantee wow. you, I'm going to. That's going to be a surprise to a lot. Now, of people I don't want. I don't want to make a complicated quilt. I like square quilts where I put machine embroidery. You know the quilt I want to make first, uh, and you're going to love. See, I, man, I use thread. I, I'm a big <laughs> thread person. And have you seen the quilts? I love quilts for children. Yeah. And yeah. I'm going to make one with, with the squares with with script. Excuse me, please, with scripture on it. Okay. I love scripture, and that's going to be the first one. Then the next one. Have you heard? Have you ever heard about I Spy quilts? You know what that is. I spy. I have not. I don't think I've well, heard I'm okay of You just get fabrics and you cut smaller squares. I mean, it's just squares. It's not yeah. a thing. I don't do those fancy quilts. I don't have any desire to do them. I love to do fun things that you can use for children. And I spy quilts. You do a squares and you put a dog on one of the squares. You can machine embroider these. Okay. Or you can cut out pieces of fabric that have fish and dogs. And, and you put something like a cat. Yeah, uh, a moose, a uh, snake on these little squares. And then when you get it put together, you and your children sit down and you can do it with the alphabet, too. And you say, I spy a dog and they run all over that quilt. OK, here it is. I, like, love I spy it. a snake. And it's kind of a learning. A learning. Yeah. And then they say, I spy a kitty and you find the square that has. A That's fun. All right, now I also am going to do an alphabet quilt. And that's the best way in the world to teach an alphabet. So mm-hmm. many of those are already designed in machine embroidery, so I don't have to, I mean. Now, when you get way. ready for that, Martha, and you're going to do that on Rockstar Sewing, you let me know and we'll get you the thread, okay? Thank you, honey. Thank you so much. <laughs> well, you've always done that. You've always given us thread for our events. Oh, oh, how I appreciate that. Now, you got to remember, I've been out of the business since 2012. Yeah. So I'm just barely getting back in the business. And I'm probably not going to do a lot of traveling because tell you yeah. through my back does not like airplanes very much. And and my back is great as long as I don't stand on my feet eight hours. Yeah. And I'm, I just thought. You got to take care of your health. If you don't have that, yeah, you don't have nothing. My health is wonderful. It's just my back yeah. has arthritis. So I'm not going to do a lot of traveling and teaching standing on my feet all day yeah. long. But I'm going to do it online. I'm going to do a little bit of traveling. I'm going to Louisiana this weekend. I'm going out to do a big thing for Paula Ponte in Seattle in February for, for okay. Bernina. Paula Ponte, I've been out there. Oh, he's been so good to me. He and Carmen. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. I'm leaving people out that, that have been so good to me that I've been <laughs> to all the time. 
<laughs> oh my God. People have been so, I can't tell you, Jason, but people have helped me every single step of the way. And, and Joyce and Fred being two so of the it, big. It takes that to be successful, right? Uh, just oh. gotta, there's always going to be someone else behind the scenes there that you that you got to give credit to because yeah, you can't absolutely. do it all alone. When you give credit to them too and thank them and because that's, that's, that's the truth. It really yeah. is the truth. God has been so good to me to give me all these people to help me. And I'm glad I've missed the business. Now, Ricky, oh, Ricky Brooks. Oh, my gosh. Ricky and Kay, they have been two of the most important people in my life. I'm not kidding you. Along with um, along with uh, Fred and George, Ricky has underwritten everything I ever did. Oh, I can't believe I left Ricky and Kay up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when the years when I was on that non-compete and I F&W bought my business, they are bankrupt now, I might say. Yeah. But they, it wasn't Phyllis. F&W bought the business from Phyllis, and F&W wouldn't let me do anything. Mm. But Ricky Brooks worked out with their lawyers where I could go out with his teachers and teach workshops at night on how to start a business and on antique clothes and have a trunk trunk show. And Ricky worked it out with their lawyers where I could go out and teach a little bit, even though I couldn't teach sewing. Right. Ricky and Kay Brooks, oh heavens, from the very beginning, they were with me on everything. I'm still, I'm still in very close touch with them. That's fantastic. Yeah. Now tell me, when when you're not sewing or doing (laughs) anything in the sewing world, what other hobbies do you have, Martha? What other activities do you enjoy? My grandchildren and my church. How about that? My children, I have five grown children and three of them live in Huntsville and grandchildren and great-grandchildren and my sister and my family. I'm doing so many things. I really traveled a lot when my children were growing up. I had to. The business would never have been built. But I love my family and my grandchildren. I took one little boy to school before six o'clock this morning. I mean, four seven, because his mother was up helping his brother get settled in at Miami of Ohio. And I love picking up all of them are driving now except one. But I love picking them up from school every now and then. And I love my great grandbabies. And I love my church. My son is a pastor, one of the pastors of my church. And I used to do a lot of mission work, foreign mission work, went on mission trips. My husband did dental missionary work. But now then, as I said, my back is not. My back is not missionary back anymore. <laughs> so, I, I, but I love my church. I'm, I love doing things at the church. So my church and my family and friends, my friends, like we go out to lunch. We do all kinds of things. That's wonderful. <laughs> well, Martha, I've always said, I, I like to sort of close with this one idea, this one question and get your perspective on it. I've always said as, as an industry, you know, we're really not selling patterns and magazines and thread and notions and fabric and whatnot. What we're really kind of selling is this feeling of accomplishment and satisfaction. And ha- happiness. We're yeah. selling happiness. There you go. Happiness. Uh, it's fun to make things. It's fun to create. We're selling happiness. And I'm going to tell you something. These machines and, and all these threads and everything, that's going to go for happiness. Yeah. I'm telling you, that's what we're selling is joy. People it. are not sewing because they have to. Nobody's doing that. People are spending not anymore. sewing. No, they're sewing for joy and for self-actualization and fulfillment and making their love clothes. The most of the clothes I've ever made have been love clothes for somebody I loved. Mm-hmm. We're selling joy is what we're selling. If you're not selling joy, you're not going to be selling much of anything. Those machines are not just pieces of metal or pieces of plastic. Those machines represent love, period. I love it. I think of it though. Yeah, yeah, that's what we're selling. I don't think we could end on a a better note than that. Uh, I get all kinds of different words there when I present that question to to our guests on the podcast. And and no matter what you call it, it's an intangible thing. 
thing, right? And it is, it is, does bring joy. It is happiness. You can call it all sorts of things, but self actualization uh, is fulfillment to do something like that. But mostly it's love for me. I would have to tell you that love is the main thing I would tell you love for each other, love for new best friends you find at sewing conventions, love for the person that you're making it for, love of creating something brand new and just the whole accomplishment. Look what I did. And, Mm-hmm. And, and you know that's a good thing to yeah. love to make something anyway. Well, thank all you. All of those things, sweetheart. All those things. Thank that's you for so much. <laughs> thank you for that perspective, for sure, and for the love that you have brought to so many people in this industry, oh, and so many customers and consumers and businesses. And your contribution to the industry has been huge, and we certainly appreciate you. And I, I thoroughly enjoyed talking to you, and appreciate you being on the podcast today. Well, Jason, it's been so nice to talk. Thank you for inviting me. I'll come back anytime to share the ignorance. Jason, I always say I'm happy to share the ignorance. (laughs) (laughs) Well, now, in the meantime, if people want to connect with you or want to find out more about your new venture, one more time, that's rockstarsewing.com. Is that going to be a website? Yes, that will be. Now then, I'm going to give you my personal email because right now my Rockstar Sewing email is not live. Okay. So if anybody wants to get in touch with me, and you're, are you ready for this? Go ahead. It's, it's Painless Pulling. Now, my husband called himself Painless Pulling in the dental office. <laughs> and so I took his email. I love it's, it. Let me spell it. P-A-I-N-L-E. E-S-S-P-U-L-L-E-N, and then the number one at iCloud.com. That's Painless Pulling pullin One. Now that I'm going to have a rock star, I'm going to have a Martha something, but that's just not quite ready, so I'm not going to give you that. All right. Well, and my, and, my, and my website will be up hopefully within the month where I'm going to be selling my classes, my retreats, and then I'm going to get an email newsletter out. So, But they don't need to send me their email newsletter on that painless pull. And that's just if anybody needs to get in touch with me. All of this will be out and ready to roll in about a month. Awesome. Well, if this happens to come out before then, great. If it comes out after, we'll amend it to include that information. Thank you, honey. Thank you so much. Well, thanks Thank again, you. Martha. It's and, such a pleasure. Uh, and you call me anytime and you tell Joyce and Fred how deeply I appreciate them. They have been with me. They've been a major part of my success and they've been dear friends a long, long time. And I can't tell you how much Sulky has meant to me and my business. And I, I mean, appreciate you I mean saying that. such generosity and such caring. And by the way, the things that they have done for the industry and that wonderful German company that makes that beautiful thread. <laughs> you tell them I can't speak German, but I sure would like to thank them, okay? <laughs> well, thank you, Martha. We appreciate okay. you. You take well, care. God bless you. God bless you, Jason. And bless you, you as well. Yourself and give my love again to Joyce and Fred, okay? I will. Thank you for listening to Why So With Sulky. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast and join us again for more fun stories that are sure to inspire your creativity. You can find more info and links for today's episode at sewingonline.sulky.com. 